Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, and top cat at 90 Min, Toby Cudworth. The January transfer window has closed and it was a very, very busy one. So we're going to reflect on what's happened, look ahead a little bit to what we could expect in the next few weeks. And uh, in the next few months and weeks, we will be looking ahead to what is shaping up to be an extremely busy summer especially for the Premier League, who are outspending absolutely everyone, every opportunity there is. Graham, I can imagine transfer deadline day for you was uh, hectic. Yeah, it was a busy one this year. Normally, it's the days leading into it that are busiest. But yeah, with uh, Enzo Fernandez, Marcel Sabitzer, it was it was a good one. I, I like it a bit busy, you know. It was um, a fairly late night with some of those deal sheets coming, coming out. But no, it was... Um, it was enjoyable. Nah, that's what I live for. I love, I love deadline day, but I'm, I'm I like deadline day when there's stuff happening, and this year there was. This year there was. Uh, not the. Is this the latest one you've had, Toby? Or because I remember when back when I was kind of uh, running those shifts, it was uh, four or five a.m. for Danny Welbeck and Radamel Falcao deals. Yeah, this year was actually okay. I think around quarter to one was kind of, or Ben Freak had confirmed Enzo Fernandez at their end. Chelsea didn't do it until the following day. But I remember waiting up for Andre Silva until about 4am a couple of years ago. Um, so that was the worst one. This one was busy, but actually kind of kicked off between 9pm and midnight when we were waiting for about 15 deals to go through. And they all did quite quickly. So uh, yeah, wasn't too bad. We'll talk a little bit. Well, a lot probably about Enzo Fernandez today because he has indeed joined Chelsea for a British transfer record. Uh, we'll talk Mason Mount and his contract situation because I think that is perhaps among the priorities on the agenda next for Chelsea. We'll talk about Jorginho. We'll talk about Moises Caicedo, who was uh, wanted by Chelsea and Arsenal as well, and obviously has ended up staying at Brighton. As Brighton said, we'll talk Hakim Ziyech. We'll talk Marcel Sabitzer to Manchester United. Jack Harrison on the agenda as well, and we'll maybe finish off with some Leo Messi latest on his contract and his future with PSG. Let's uh, let's run to the Enzo Fernandez story, which has dominated the the news rounds over the last few days, and especially on deadline day, it's obviously the biggest deal we've ever seen in the in the UK. Uh obviously he moved for. 10 million ish six months ago and now Chelsea have ended up spending more than 10 times that or maybe around 10 times that on a player who has massive potential World Cup winner uh, but this one was a not an easy process Graham is that fair to say for Chelsea and for Benfica no this one was up and down um, obviously we did the story on the Monday that the on the week on Monday that they were back in for him and and it turned out they were and the deal yeah it was just constant back and forth we we did a bit on Monday about it being agreed and it was and it was confidence and then Rui Costa the president got involved again and suddenly changed the goalposts and, and it's I'm not I'm not accusing Benfica of this because they were both both teams at both ends were changing the goalposts where um the the fee was agreed but then the big thing all the time with this deal Scott was the instalments and it was it wasn't just how much each instalment was it was when they were going to be paid Chelsea always wanted it over five years 
Benfica were keen on doing it over three, etc. So when see when they whenever they agreed something, it, it moves something else out of position. You know, they they agreed the overall deal at one point to 115 million pound, but then Benfica accepted that. But then Chelsea said, "Well, that's over five years." And they were like, "Well, no, we're not having that." And what's your what's the first payment? And and when people were wondering how long how come it took so long, but when you see all these little bits, it's easy to see why. But I think huge credit must go to Baghdad. Igbali, the corner, um, the Clearwater representative on the Chelsea board alongside Todd Burley. He's played such a massive part in what's happened at Chelsea in the last two weeks. He was the key figure in getting Mudrick over the line. And my understanding, he was the key figure in these talks. He he would not let Rui Costa go and the rest of the Benfica hierarchy. He was going to leave that he was going to leave Lisbon um, with it with some sort of deal, whether it was the player coming in the summer whether it was a deal there and then. He he was not leaving there without some sort of signature, but he always wanted him to come now when he got the deal done. So, yeah, a fair play to him. Uh, it was a, it was a, as I said, a British record deal, huge deal. And it, and it went from, and even those in Portugal, Scott, as we saw, we saw the report, reports in Portugal in the morning, didn't we, on the Tuesday. They thought it was off off completely, didn't they? And then it, Chelsea just wouldn't let, let it go. So, um, no, delighted. I, I'm delighted to get it done because I think he's a wonderful player. In terms of the price, we'll see in the next few years whether it's worthwhile. I mean, if Chelsea keep him for 10 years and he's a success, then it's obviously in 10 years you could see prices inflating even further maybe or maybe it'll all cave in on itself. Who knows? But, you know, I think what Chelsea do have is a, a brilliant core of young players that they've acquired over the last month or six weeks. Uh <laughs> I think he's kept up with Added, his, adding that with, to the with, best with academy his, in the world, probably. With his player every two weeks, I think he's kept up that rate, hasn't he, Todd? I think he's kept up um, that rate of a player every. He's probably even ahead of that point at this moment in time. Toby, uh, what do you make of this? Because I think we can all see that Chelsea need a player like Enzo Fernandez. Um, perhaps, well, they've spent six hundred million pounds ish this season. Some players that they signed in the summer are already looking like potential cast-offs. Uh, and they have a lot of players. Uh, but Enzo Fernandez obviously, is uh, is going to be a massive plus for them. Will there be pressure on him to deliver? Huge pressure. Any player who sets a record fee, wherever they go, is always going to have expectation on their shoulders. Um, he's only 22. He's only been in Europe for six months. There's huge pressure on him to deliver for Chelsea. Um, I think the one thing that maybe plays into his hands this season is that Chelsea are so far away from the top four that if they don't get it, people aren't obviously going to be looking at him as the reason. They're already, what, 10, 11 points behind fourth place. Um, if anything, maybe they're going to focus on the Champions League a little bit more, see how they get on in the last 16 against Borussia Dortmund. Um can Fernandez be registered for that? Like Chelsea can obviously add three to their squad. There was a change so. in the rules, wasn't there? They, they can. They I, can. I yeah. So, yeah, believe they so. Can. Yeah, I, I would think Modric, Fernandez, and one more, isn't it? Well, he will be one of the three for sure because Chelsea have needed a bit of stability and class in central midfield. Um, so there might be pressure on his shoulders in that sense. That I think Chelsea probably want to go deep in that competition um, because I would imagine the best they can do in the Premier League is a top six finish. Beyond uh, this season, sure, he's going to carry the weight of expectation in years to come. He's 
contracted until 2031, I believe. Another eight and a half year whopping deal from Todd. Um, he's one of the players that you'd imagine might be at the club for that length of time, unless he does exceptionally well for the next two, three, four years, and maybe Barcelona or Real Madrid come calling that kind of... In the of... current situation, though, how, how how will they be able to even do that? And this is a this is a question, I suppose, that I have for for Graham. I know that I've talked about it this week and people haven't really liked it too much, but Chelsea do have a lot of players. Graham, what's the, what's the approach here? Because th- there seems to be a certainty that there will be a clear out. Mm-hmm. Um, did, how much power do Chelsea have in these negotiations to sell players? Because every club is going to know that they have a massive wage bill. I know these players come in, are coming in on not massive, massive wages in the context of, uh, you know, modern deals, but they are on long-term contracts and Chelsea do have high earners as well. You only need to look at Romelu Lukaku. They signed for 90 odd million, like 18 months ago. That didn't go well and they can't sell him. Yeah, it's an issue with all these big deals and we, we, it's not as Chelsea. We've seen Joao Felix's new teammate is there as well. There's a, he, he's there alone and because Atletico can't really sell him, sell him either. So these big deals, they're, they're a massive... Risk, as you say, Scott and Chelsea. Yeah, they're gonna be. There's gonna be an awful lot of players leaving this summer. There really is. Uh, there's gonna be a huge, out huge, a huge number of people, number of players going through the exit door. Um, from what we're hearing, Pulisic, Loftus Cheek, Gallagher, Hudson Odoi, Aubameyang, Mendy, all potentially out. An interesting name who, who I'm told will almost definitely be leaving is Koulibaly, who only arrived last summer. And he probably won't be the only one of the, the Burley era who goes early doors. And I said, but I have to do this, Scott. You know, as you say, what, over 40 players you you named um, on another show? It, it, they do have to do this. And yeah, well, and Lukaku might be another might be another issue for them come this summer. You know, he, does he come back to to keep him? As you say, into, do they have Chelsea over Bowler? They're going to be able to negotiate a deal there knowing that Chelsea do not want him back. So, yeah, it does cause issues, Scott. You're right. We, yeah, we've is. seen we've seen it all over the sh- over and over again with these types of deals for players. And, yeah, Chelsea are taking a massive risk with some of these deals. Massive risk. Did the buying club here have lots of power in a sense because... Obviously, there's a, there's a number of clubs in the Premier League, the, the big six, Newcastle, PSG, probably in a league of their own in comparison to the rest of Europe in terms of financial capabilities. And then there's a lot, a lot of Premier League clubs in the second, third tier of the Premier League who can maybe take some of these players off their hands. But, you know, given clubs know that Chelsea have so many players, are they going to be coming to the table with, I know Everton came to the table with for 40 million with Conor Gallagher, but that's Everton, right? <laughs> yes. That was, maybe was that a bit of a PR stunt? We think it might've been. Um, yeah. You're totally right. So who, who takes these players and, and Chelsea have got such a, a conundrum because as we've said on the show before, who's making decision on the players? Is it Graham Potter? I don't think so. As you said, head coach Graham Potter, it's not him. And he's he's worried about his own future as well, which is another big thing for Chelsea. They've made an awful lot of signings, Chelsea, but in terms of the future, and it looks quite good, but there's so many questions they need to answer over the next few months, isn't there? And 
and and I think I still think Graham Potter is the biggest question mark there. You know, they've they've you got Mudrick, you got Fernandez, Mason Mount, who we'll talk about in a bit. Is is Graham Potter? Okay, but and I think I think this is the biggest issue Chelsea have got. We know about these big contracts. They're going to be able to get rid of these players, Carsia. We know there's ways and means, but I still think this Graham Potter situation is huge. It, it is he good enough to manage this squad? Probably one of the most expensive, expensive assembled squads in in footballing history as it is now. Half a billion spent on it, and as you say, Scott, since he came, since Todd Bailey came in, and and the man at the top when it comes to selection. I I think that's the I think that's the thing what's going to hold Chelsea back is 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 the manager good enough for these players? And I think Todd Burley will soon realise that he isn't. But well, you talk about pressure, Scott, on Enzo Fernandez. Graham Potter is under the biggest pressure I think of any manager in world football to be given six hundred million pounds worth of players and to be expected to get a tune out of them probably immediately. There's only a handful of managers you'd imagine who can coach mould that caliber of player to get playing seamlessly quite quickly. Um, Graham Potter's background is doing that with lesser clubs like Brighton and Swansea. So massive challenge for him. I think we've said all along he'll do well to see out the season. I still think that's very much the case. Um, In regards to how they move players on, Graham, I was thinking the only thing that Chelsea could do and they might be forced into doing is subsidising wages to get rid of these players, to continue paying for Pulisic's wages, a share of it, Loftus Cheek, etc. I don't, a wage, I don't see how they sell them in full. It is the wages. That's the problem we've seen. That's why Zayat, well, part of the reason Zayat didn't go about Pulisic before. Ruben Loftus Cheek was linked to Newcastle. And the reason that one didn't get anywhere, if Newcastle had taken Loftus Cheek on his full wages, he would have been the highest paid player at Newcastle. It's just it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, that's where we can see where. And as you as you say, Toby, some of these day, I think they'll just have to cut the losses with some of these players, as we saw United did with Alexis Sanchez all those years ago. Scott, sometimes you just have to. That's one to, player, though. This is lots of. Yeah, players. is that? Yeah, they've got a lot. Well, let's see. Yeah, they've got a lot. They've been left with a lot from the pre Burley era, Burley era as well. And and let's just see where they go with it. Um, yeah, but the, as I totally agree, Toby. They're gonna have to subsidize some of these wages to get them out, um, loans. Etc. We're going. We're going to see a lot of. Uh, not that we weren't expecting that anyway. We're going to see a lot of Chelsea business this summer, both in and out. Chelsea. Do you think? Um, do you think Armando Brozier? Sorry, just to bring up one more player. Do you think Armando Brozier is thinking hmm, maybe I shouldn't have signed that contract? I know he's long term injured, but he signed a six year deal in September. There's no chance he's going to be Chelsea's starting striker in years to come. He he only needs to look at the spending, doesn't he, and the profile of player coming in to probably realise. I'm not getting a chance anymore, but he signed a big contract. So again, he's another player that you can put in that category. The, of... the fortunate thing for Broger is there is not a solid number nine there at the moment. And yet, yeah, yet, yes, yeah. I think he, I think he's signed that in Chelsea. They do love to put players on long-term deals, even for loans. And he'll be one who will be going out on loan and and benefiting from that. But yeah, and we'll see. Um... Yeah, I said a lot, a lot of loans, as you said, TC as well, and and it's been interesting. Combined, this the Premier League are putting a lot of pressure on the football league to allow unlimited loans. Do you see that, guys? Which I think um, Chelsea could be one of the beneficiaries from that. Chelsea have uh, restructured above as well. Uh, Todd Bowley obviously had massive influence in the summer when he when he came in. It was him stepping into the hot seat, really. But Chelsea have since. Announced a restructuring of sorts at the highest 
levels of the club. Paul Wynn Stanley and Lawrence Stewart, co-sporting directors. Christopher Vivell, uh, technical director. Uh, and there's a number of other names there that I'm sure Chelsea fans are quite familiar with. It's a transfer yeah. committee, isn't it, Scott? It's a transfer to committee. be fair, they always wanted a transfer committee and they've certainly got one. Yes, indeed. Uh, obviously, there are other things that Chelsea have done or not done over the last few days. Uh, we'll talk. Let's do Mason Mount a second because, obviously, Graham, we've reported on 90min.com about Chelsea's desire to get Mason Mount to sign a new deal, but it's not happened yet. Uh, where are they standing with that one? Yeah, that is one of the priorities um, for the hierarchy at Chelsea now to get Mason Mount to a new deal. From my understanding, they are prepared to make him one of the highest paid players at the club. He, he, they've been talking with him since the start of the season when Reese James signed his new deal. There's been a few issues there in terms of wages, but no, Mason Mount, they, they're hopeful and they're expecting him to sign his new deal. You know, they are trying to sign his best friend as well in the summer in Declan Rice. It won't have a bit, you know, if it doesn't mean if Mason Mount didn't sign his deal, Declan Rice wouldn't, but it doesn't help the situation, you know, because they talk to each other. And he wants to know why he's not signing his new deal. So I think it is very important this Mount deal gets done, and Chelsea think it will, and and I and I believe it will as well. I think Mount will sign his deal. You know he, he's driving a hard bargain, but so he should. England national come through the ranks, yeah. But they are going to reward him. Is our information? Chelsea have successfully managed to offload Jorginho. I think what they did here for getting twelve million or ten plus a couple of million out of Arsenal. I think it's a good deal for Arsenal, actually, um, in the short-term context anyway. But it's a good deal for Chelsea as well, uh, raising that much money for a player who is out of contract in just a few months' time. Uh, we're going to link Moises Caicedo to this, I, I suppose, Graham, because Chelsea and Arsenal have been have shown heavy interest in, in the Brighton player this month, or last month now, as it is. He's gone public with his desire to go. <laughs> uh Brighton, though, have been very, very steadfast in not wanting to give any indication that they would sell him, and they held firm, to be fair. And that has that triggered Arsenal to move for Jorginho? As, as, was there a bit of Arsenal thinking, all right, we'll put some pressure on Brighton, we'll give it until the last day, go there and we'll see if they crack, and they just didn't? Yeah, very much so. We saw it last year with Douglas Louise. They were still trying. They 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 had another sniff at Yuri Tielemans, who probably I still think might end up there in the summer on a free transfer. But as Arteta persuaded the club's hierarchy to to go in and Edu to go in for this player because he might be the one that gets him over the line, Scott. And I think that's what he was saying. We need this southern midfielder. When you compare Jorginho to the other options I had, even if El was fit, which he isn't, and Laconga who went to Palace, he is such an upgrade. On, on those two, for instance, you know, bringing him in now, it's only one player. One player doesn't make a team, but this one player could have such a huge difference on this Arsenal team. He's got experience. He's impressive. And, you know, even if he doesn't start, him coming off the bench is, is such a weapon for Arteta. And I'm I, I'm not surprised he's he's really delighted this. I, I think this could be the sign that gets Arsenal over the, over the edge, over the top. I think this could be the one that wins them the title. It's been stressed that Arsenal have obviously gone for Mikhailo Mudrik and not got him. Chelsea signed him. They've obviously gone for Caicedo and failed. Uh, and obviously Chelsea have been, again, for the second consecutive transfer window, crowned the, the champions of the transfer window. They've won the transfer window for the second time around. But I suppose it's 
in terms of the signings Chelsea have made, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But have Arsenal quietly, and look, look at the context of their season and their immediate targets with Trossard and Jorginho coming in, two experienced Premier League players. Arsenal, not the, I think one of the weaknesses I, th- I think you could look look at them for is inexperience, perhaps. Uh, Jorginho and Trossard are two 28, 30-year-old players who can come in and plug a gap. And Jorginho especially is the type of midfielder who will help Arsenal retain, you know, pressure in possession. He'll keep things ticking over. Perhaps Arsenal didn't really have a player like that. That'll really benefit them in the long run or in the in the short term uh, for the next six months, do you think? Absolutely. They have a short-term target to win the Premier League. And okay, they wanted to sign Moises Caicedo. They wanted to sign Mikhailo Mudrik. But they obviously had plan Bs. And they had a valuation that they were willing to go to for those two players. Chelsea willing to go higher because they have the bankroll to do so. But Trossard's not a bad plan B. Jorginho certainly isn't a bad plan B. And I'd imagine Arsenal had those in mind all along. If plan A doesn't work out, then you know we'll go for these two players. And you need experience and you need a bit of know-how to get over the line. And Jorginho, he'll add a bit of granite, granite Xhaka factor. He'll make a tactical foul when it's needed. He knows how to see games out. He's been successful with Chelsea. He is a winner by all accounts um, and has been successful with Italy and he takes pressure situations on his shoulders, you know, takes the fifth penalty in shootouts. He's been a regular penalty taker throughout his career. So Mikel Arteta, I think Arsenal, when you look at the two, when you compare Arsenal and Chelsea's window, yes, you can say Chelsea have brought in all these players. Arsenal have still been smart though. They've brought in three players in three areas that they needed a bit of added cover they might not be immediate starters in their team because their starting 11 is playing so well. But when they get an inevitable injury, which they will, or they need to shake something up, they've brought in Trossard, they've brought in Jorginho. And Kiriori is a, a highly rated defender in Italy and only cost them 25 million. So again, another smart signing. And he is also one for the future too. Graham. Uh, so... In terms of another good thing for Arsenal, I suppose, is the outlays on Trossard and Jorginho have been relatively low. So the interest in Caicedo was always there. According to your knowledge, is that going to remain in into the summer? I mean, we, we talked about Tielemans just there. Arsenal, what, basically what I'm trying to say is Arsenal haven't shot a massive amount of money on a player that they, they long, want in the long term, but they have spent, you know, with a little bit of the purse strings on, signing players for short-term gain. But that, has that really affected their bank balance and long-term transfer ambitions is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I don't think I have, Scott. And I, I've been told by someone who it, it wouldn't be surprised if Jorginho lifts the title and then still moves back to Italy in the summer. And, and and you know, who 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 would who would doubt them then? But, yeah, no, they still want Caicedo. And I think, yeah, hats off to, to Brighton here. I, I think it was a really, really important deal. I don't over overblow this but for the Premier League not just for Brighton for them to say no draw a line in the sand Brighton and I must admit I was I was doing the reporting saying they're not doing this not willing I, I've got to be honest there was 10% of me not really believing them even though they were telling me that thinking can you really reject this can you really stop them And but I think there was two things where they knew if they allowed Casido to go to summer Matoma March McAllister would be knocking on the door in the summer saying yep yeah, I want, I want, I want to go as well. 
you let him go, why not me? And I think they had that danger now where they can say, look, if you, you only go on our terms, and I think that was a big thing. Also, there is this perception within Brighton, and we spoke about it on the show last time. They think they can, they could snatch a top four. They don't, no, they don't think, they're not confident, but there's that chance. And top six, definitely. And as we said before, Toby, didn't we? How how can Brighton turn this chance down? They may, our Chelsea, when, they, when are Chelsea and Liverpool in the same season going to be this bad again? This literally could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them to get top four and definitely top six. Let's uh, look at one player that Chelsea did not manage <laughs> to shift. Uh, Hakim Ziyech. And we, we've obviously touched on Chelsea might have potential difficulties offloading some high owners that were there mm. for the Burley era or maybe even... Bali, like for example, I, I would imagine they'll have a bit of trouble with him. What happens to Raheem Sterling? You know, th- mm. there's plenty of options in in those wide areas. I, I'll now. be honest, I, f- I forgot Raheem was there. Man. Yeah, I forget Raheem. Exactly, was, you, you forgot Raheem uh, Sterling was there. Yeah, and he was one of the biggest signs of last. I said on Kulibali, I think they actually might have a buyer lined up in terms of um, Inter Milan and desperate need of a centre half when Skriniar was and so on. So they might land on the feet with him. I think there's a few. Do Inter think... have the money to put up to pay Chelsea back though? As you said, is just as TC says, they might just accept it. They take his way. I, there's got to be a give and take. I think with the, a lot of these deals, it's not really a transfer fee; it's the wages. What Toby said before, if they get the wages off the bill, not just currently, by the way, a lot of these players, it's it's a reason why some of these players are still there. We'll talk about CH now, but it's why Pulisic is really still there. You know, because he's such huge. Pulisic is on over two hundred thirty thousand pound a week this season. A lot of these deals as well, as we know, so the incremental wages, they go up and up as well. As, as we know why Phil Jones is still at United. Um, but, I, but they might have 10, 12 versions of Phil Jones coming up. So that's, a, that's the point you're making, isn't it? It's not just Absolutely, one Absolutely, yeah. And it's not <laughs> to say that Chelsea have done bad business this month at all, because the players that they've signed have been mm. are very, very promising. It's just usually you kind of do it the other way around, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it's... Know? is the thing and that's what I think um, Chelsea will realise um, but yeah with with Ziyech touching on him yeah this deal didn't go through we were told that um, yeah, there was three versions of the documentation actually only two I'm told only two versions were wrong <laughs> not that sure there was a there was, <laughs> just the third one was late yeah there was, a, <laughs> there was a spelling mistake on the first one the second one the there was some categories were filled in wrongly and the third one to be to Chelsea's credit was correct it was just late <laughs> So they were, they were a bit preoccupied trying to sign somebody else in Portugal by the sounds of it. I'm also yeah, I'm also told that there was a thing about maybe extending his deal to to do the loan and yeah, how 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 bothered were Chelsea by this? I'm not so sure. Um but yeah, they they wanted him out. But yeah, as we said, we reported on this. PSG not very happy. And yeah, they were um well, they were absolutely furious, PSG in the end. And uh I was told by I said someone that we were writing the story. Don't um, don't cross Nasser Al Khalifi. He'll remember this. Maybe one day when when Todd tries to sign Mbappe and says, "You remember that night in twenty twenty three when you stopped me getting Zayech? Well, you can't have him. And then these orders you can't rule out, can you, Scott? They do they do have uh, long memories. But yeah, with Zayech, we'll see. But he's still got a chance, as we reported today, Scott. He's still got a chance to move Zayech. There's teams in Turkey, um, UAE. So he may end up getting a little move for six months um, to save Chelsea a bit of money. Well, I think Istanbul, Basak Shahir have uh, 
found their answer in Adnan Yanazai, so I don't know if he'll be turning up there. Well, Traore got recalled, didn't he, by Villa as well, so there was a, a bit of chance there. But yeah, so where does that put Zaitis? To be fair, though, he's been Graham Potter's been using him. So, Graham Potter's uh, been using everyone, though, hasn't he? <laughs> Desperately trying to find a formula and a formation that works, and now he's got so many players to look at that he probably doesn't know his. Uh... Well, I won't complete that sentence, but yeah, but yeah, whether whether we did before that anyway, Toby, yeah, so um, yeah, throwing throwing into the mix, but yeah, we'll see what Zaj does. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he started the weekend. (laughs) Why he he plays? uh, uh, Chelsea play Fulham on Friday night, so we'll we'll find out pretty soon. You may might even be listening to this after that. The Kings Road derby, yeah, indeed. Uh, any final words on Chelsea? Because we've spent a fair bit of time talking about them, but we will move on. Any any final words? I'm in, I'm interested to see what team Graham Potter plays tonight. How many of those new signings actually feature? Um, have we seen Chelsea's 25 player squad confirmed and who's in and who's out? We've seen Nottingham Forest, haven't we, Graham? They've left a few players out because of their I haven't seen massive Forest. amount did, of signings. But did, did they leave O'Brien out? Toby, I they seen did. Him. Yes, oh, Lewis oh, O'Brien oh. is out. So Steve Cook, who wanted to stay and fight for his place. Is not in the right. twenty-five. So, um, and I think I think correct me if I was at the. I'm trying to think back now. My memory, and it's hard when you get to my age. I I think both those players started the first game against Newcastle of the season. I they think did. They both did. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Yeah. How 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 can you start the first game of the season and then suddenly not be in the squad? That's who's, a very strange. Who's had a crazier year, of transfers, between the two, Forest and it, Chelsea. It's. It's probably still Forest, isn't it? Because they've signed more players than what your Premier League squad is allowed to be. And as Graham says, they've had like four or five who arrived in the summer. They've either terminated their loan already or they've booted them out of their 25-player squad. That's insane turnover. 29, did I was disappointed they didn't hit the 30 mark. I really was. Uh, (laughs) It's worked for them, though. I mean, everyone was looking at Forest and thinking, you're down, obviously. They've shot up the table. Well, well, I think he's gone back to what you know. I said, I said early on, Scott. I said to you, um, you know, we were talking about um, Johnson. It's just square pegs and round holes, and and even when O'Brien was coming in, and I thought he, he's a he's a good player, he's a very good player. But I said to you at the time, didn't I? Sorry, that they had yet and there, it was just as good. And then I don't know, I don't know whether I I suspect it was a hierarchy making these signs. I'm not going to blame Steve Cooper because. You know, if if you get offered players, you take them, don't you? So, um, see, but uh, it, it's working at the moment, Scott, isn't it? Yeah, they are. They are not amongst the favourites to go down as it stands. Yeah, fair play to Steve Cooper. He's done a brilliant job over the last five six months, in particular. I, I, I if he keeps he this up, he might be. If so. he keeps this up, he might. And he might be in Chelsea reckoning if he keeps this up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Manchester. Uh, no real business at City. Obviously, they signed a young Argentinian lad this month. Uh, but Man United have done some business. Marcel Sabitzer arriving on deadline day. It was a race against time, but it always looked like a get done as soon as the interest emerged. I've had my say on this on plenty of platforms, so I'll, I'll ask you guys. Uh, I'll go Toby first. What do you make of this one? Good signing. Really good signing. Um, you can argue, Paul Merson style, that he doesn't get in Bayern Munich's team. But that's because Bayern Munich have a really good team. Um, but look, he adds experience. He adds quality to United midfields. Um, he's a good attacking option. I think he's dropped deeper in the last couple of years, but his 
final two seasons at Leipzig, his goal return was particularly impressive. Uh, and with the injuries that United have got at the moment, they needed an insurance policy to secure top four. Maybe even push for a top three or top two finish, depending on whether or not City slip up or Arsenal. And I think Sabitz just adds that bit of quality and it's a no-risk deal as well. There's, It's a straight loan until the end of the season. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, cut your losses in the summer and move on to longer-term targets like Frankie de Jong. So I think it's a, a good bit of business for United. They obviously saw an opportunity and took it and for once acted decisively, which I think is what United fans and you, Scott, would like to see given the uh, drivel you've witnessed over the previous few years in transfer dealings this one was actually operated quite well i actually think he's a better fit for that role than christian erickson like, yeah i i, I thought not saying he's a better player but i think he's a better fit i think united had a good window there was showed the um they could have easily been left very short scott you know they rejected a lot of interest in scott mctominay um, from Newcastle, like quite a few clubs, and it was very wise in hindsight now that they did that. And uh, Sabitzer, yeah, I quite like him. I think he's. Did, did you know he scored more career goals than Anthony Martial? I'll let you have. Um, How many? I don't know. I just saw that fact, and you know, I thought I thought you'd like that. Um, I like him. Yeah, I think he can fill that. Um, you know, he can be ahead of Casemiro in that role. And I think he's a hungry player as well, which I quite like. I think he's hungry. You know, there isn't an option here, but he's already been, he already knows he's not got a future by him. Even he's, he's fourth in the reckoning now, but Conrad Lyme is coming into there as well. So he was always looking at it. So I think there is a, if he comes in and performs well, I don't expect United to sign him, but you know, but they, they could. They yeah. could, but because but, we know McTominay and Fred, McTominay, for instance, got a lot of interest in him. Ayrton Hag might think, you know what, Sabitz offers me a bit more. Let's sell McTominay for a huge profit and bring Sabitzer in. Um, he's not that old. I think he's you know, an international caliber player. It'd be very interesting. No, I think it's a it was a good right place at the right time sort of move. Obviously, it's a player they scouted heavily under Ralph Ragnick. So no, I, I like it. It was um it's a good fit. And I say you're battling on fourth front still. So um it was someone you needed. I think the big thing was obviously when Ericsson went down injured there was massive concern but the prognosis was i think worse than most expected in terms of being out for the a large chunk of the rest of the season uh and they had to act fast there was some doubt whether they would i don't think they really wanted to um but sabitzer is a hell of a plaster over that problem and as long as he can stay fit and united have those options in midfield it wasn't it wasn't a panic buy was it scott you know that's the thing that's the you're, thing. you're yeah. obviously offered 30 to 40 players but then when one name comes in so actually we like him we know him let's do it it wasn't a panic buy where because actually united did brief on the morning that they weren't looking for a replacement obviously in the meantime they've been offered Sabitzer, um and thought yeah he's actually a good fit and ten Hag obviously made it clear that he would like another body and so it just ticked every box it's another feather in Ten Hag's cap, actually. I think he's done so well in these first six, seven months that he said to United, I'd like to bring in another player. So they green-lighted it, probably based on Ten Hag asking for it. Whereas in years gone by, perhaps that wouldn't have happened. Perhaps the manager would have been overruled or they would have said, no, you're all right. You've got X, Y options. Um, Ten Hag has got that respect already that his opinion counts. He wanted someone, so United got the deal done. 
it's a huge positive, isn't it? And it's not wasting any of you. I say it doesn't change your thinking for the summer, does it, Scott? You know, even even if you did go for ten and a half, if for De Jong, which we think you will, if it's a is a squad player, you still need these squad players. He's a high caliber squad player, and I think um, I still think he could come in even if you did go for De Jong or Bellingham, whoever it may be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, United in good nick at the moment. They play Crystal Palace on Saturday. And like you say, on, on panic buying, I've seen that leveled at United a little bit, but they haven't actually bought anyone. <laughs> this is the thing. I think if you'd have given Sabitzer a three, four-year contract for 20 million quid on deadline day, that might be a panic buy. But the fact that you're getting them in on loan with no obligation and just wage cover, you know, to get you through until the end of the season when the entire picture of the club will change if the if the ownership changes. Uh get through to the end, make sure you've got enough cover, try and seal a cup win. United play Newcastle in the League Cup final, try and seal top four, get back. The in United the battle. League. Whoever wins that, do we call them United? Well, you already have decided that you call Newcastle United. Uh, well, it was our league, but wasn't it? Was there, is, is it is there still a but I don't I must admit, I don't is it still Newcastle third? No, if I haven't looked on that goal details. Ah, okay, I, believe, I hadn't looked yeah. recently. I think it's on goal difference. But yes, uh, United play three games in the next week. Uh, so I think if if it goes to what you'd expect, I think may- maybe United will be moving up a place. But yes, uh, Sabits are United. Uh, and that should cover them until the end of the season. I'm sure we'll write about Frankie de Jong and talk about Frankie de Jong a lot. And Jude Bellingham a lot over the next few editions of Talking Transfers in the next few months. Uh, but we've got two other players we'll touch on today. Jack Harrison to start with, Graham. Uh, mm. What is going on with him? Yeah, it's a player, as you know, guys, I was hearing an awful lot about Jack Harrison the last 48 hours of the window, and there was something happening. Um, Leeds uh, spent a lot of money in January, um, and and he was a player that they were seemingly willing to let go, despite the fact they were doing contract talks with him. And we do suspect that Leeds are going to change their shape. So with that, I think there is a an, there is an avenue there for for Harrison to move on. Leicester win for him. Aston Villa win for him. Newcastle win for him. All teams who had a previous interest that liked the player, it was Leicester who were going to get him. And it went to the point, guys, that he was having a medical at the Leicester training ground, and they made room for him by allowing the Josie Perez back to spin. They joined Betis, wasn't it? And Bet mm-hmm. and, Al- and Albright and left as well. Albright, the key figure. I'm very surprised to let him go anyway. But they wanted these left-siders. They'd already brought Tetty in, but um, Brendan Rodgers wanted Harrison. They thought it was done. And then suddenly, later on in the win, later in the day, we find out that Leeds recalled him. Now, obviously, Leicester were not very happy. They were furious, actually. Leicester absolutely furious this happened. So they've been left a little bit short. Leeds have brought him back. And what to see Harrison, so his future is very much up in the air now. Is he going to feature in this Leeds team? He's been in and out and... I've not been a fan of the way Marsh has used Jack Harrison. I thought he was a, a very, very good player. He was um, maybe not a 9 out of 10, but he was a 7, eight, seven eight out of 10 every week on that left-hand side. He was close to the England squad at one point. And then suddenly I had this thing of playing him inside and on the right, this modern obsession with some managers, square pegs and round hole. It just, just stop it. And I think I think Jesse Marsh has ruined him a little bit in the last few months. I really do. Uh, but Leeds have tried to get into a new deal, but I don't see it now. And I think Harrison... I'll be I'll be surprised if he signs a new deal. No, I really will be. And then he's only got eighteen months left, so 
perfect situation. If he does go, he'll be um very much still on Villa and Newcastle's list, Leicester again. But yeah, it's a really interesting one, this one, why Leeds let him get down, let him have a medical and then suddenly brought him back, having spent an awful lot of money themselves. I think someone in the Leeds boardroom wanted him wanted the seal to go through, having spent the money on Rutter, McKenney, obviously, if it still will become a four, um thirty, what I can't remember what the fee was for McKenney, and then forty million pound deal. And so there's a lot of outlays for Leeds as well. So wait until the summer as well. Are they going to get the same fee for him now? We believe it was around 25-30. Are they going to get that in the summer? Maybe not. I know they don't play the same position, but I wonder if Leeds did look at Rodrigo's injuries ruled out for a couple of months and they just thought it's an experienced, good player. Can we afford to let him go to arguably a relegation rival? Leicester aren't out of the woods yet. Yeah, very so... much so too. Yeah, I think they are. And that's what... And Brendan Rodgers admitted during relegation talk. That is the thing, yeah. Um, it's just letting him get to that medical thing. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Letting him get to the medical thing. You can understand them not letting him join a rival. Like, like one of the main reasons my night didn't leave Tommy go to Newcastle. Why, why would you strengthen a direct rival? It just doesn't make any sense in January. And so, yeah, to let him have a medical, I think um, it's going to be hard for, the, for his head to be in the right place at the moment, though, isn't it? A lot of work to do to rebuild that relationship. You would have thought, anyway. Yes, indeed. Uh, we did mention, or Graham did mention there, about contract situations with Jack Harrison. I'm going to jump to... I, I, there's, there's absolutely no link <laughs> I can make at all between Jack Harrison and Lionel Messi. But They're um, both left-footed, mate. They both... <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's, that's the one. But we'll finish the show on Lionel Messi, Graham, uh, at PSG, World Cup winner, most, well a large chunk of the football fandom's choice for being the greatest ever. Uh, where will Lionel Messi be? What What's, what's Lionel Messi's uh, intentions? What is the latest on PSG? Will he renew with them? Is he going to go somewhere else? Do we know? What's, what's, the, what's what? Yeah, that's the thing. PSG thought after World Cup, we, we reported in October time that he was going to take his time deciding on his future. There is offers from Inter Miami, there's offers from Barcelona, but PSG were always quite confident. After World Cup, he's won the World Cup, his, his stock is very high again. PSG thought they had a deal done, two-year deal, one, one year plus another option. But this deal hasn't been signed, and Messi hasn't really been that interested in having talks of late. There's a real worry in Paris that he isn't staying. They do, they do suspect his family. They are happy in France, just not as happy as they are as they were in Catalonia. And and this this is the suspicion PSG have got. They are very worried they're going to lose him now. As I mentioned, is the Inter Miami situation. He he's come out and said he loves Miami, wants to play in America, but he also is of the belief that he's got two or three years of European football left in him. So I think he will go into Miami one day. I just think it's more likely to be twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five even. And then that leaves on the horizon is Barcelona. We we know the relationship isn't there between Laporta and Messi, but the lure of going back to Barcelona, I think, you know, I think it'll help Barcelona. So I'm saying they're not going to win the title, I don't think, this year. So for him to go back there and, and create another dynasty or help Xavi create another dynasty, I think it's a massive pull for him. Even though Laporta's there, and we all have our opinions on Laporta, and Messi's is whatever we think of Laporta, his is a lot worse than our opinion of him. That's for sure. And you know he won't be going back for Laporta. He'll be going back for the Barcelona fans who are desperate for him to go back. He'll go back to Xavi, who you no know, massive friends. 
And, and that's that's the thinking in Paris now. They're thinking, can we stop him going to Barcelona? And I don't think they can. Personally, I think he goes back to Barcelona. No decision made officially. The deal is there. He could sign in Paris if he's if he sees fit in the in the coming months. But they thought this was done, Scott. They thought they had him, but they're very worried at the fact he hasn't signed now, and his stock is high. Yeah, and and Barcelona apparently is it? Did you see that stat where he still is one of the highest in terms of selling merchandise? Messi is still their highest seller. Seriously, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, Laporta said it. So can you imagine what happens if he goes back. I don't. What you guys say. I. I. Steve. I think he's back at Barcelona. I do. I think he goes back. Do you? Do you not think Lionel Messi fancies an adventure in the best league in the world? <laughs> or in in England? <laughs> well, would he uh, want to do it to himself? Hey guys, who's the, who's the Pep romantic reunion? You know that was on the on the table a couple of years ago. Yeah, could could Todd Burley? Could Todd Burley come in at Chelsea and offer him? He wanted Ronaldo. He was desperate for Ronaldo, wasn't he? He really wants this world star. Could Messi and Enzo Fernandez? Hey guys, you heard it here first. Could we see it? We're laughing <laughs> now. I I predict we may see that link emerging, but I said I don't know what you guys think. I from I think Messi is Barcelona bound. I really do. Well, this is so very Barcelona, isn't it? It's taken them the best part of eighteen months to get over him going in the first place. They're arguably in the best shape they've been in in La Liga for some time. Okay, they're facing United in the Europa League knockout tie, but they are top of La Liga by five points. They've only conceded seven goals this season. They're actually doing all right in the league, but it would be so them. Messi, though, with Pedri and Gavi. Yeah. And I I don't normally agree with these hairbrain Barcelona things. As you know, guys, I'm not a big fan of Laporta. Some of these deals that they do, like... But I, just, I, I do think he fits in there as well. I think he'd be my, uh, a couple of years with Pedri and Gavi before he goes to MLS. I think it fits. I think there, there's he, a lot of, uh, you know, the way he left Barcelona, hmm. it would be kind of a way of setting it right if he did a year or two hmm. in Spain and he won another trophy with Barcelona, won another Champions League with Barcelona or, or something like that. He didn't want to leave, did he? And oh, they really, of course. And they really didn't want to let him go. It was it was a strange departure, wasn't it? He, he wasn't that happy when he went to PSG originally. He's had one good year at PSG now, uh, and they're desperately trying to keep him. So It's a chance um, for him to go back and leave at the end on his terms in yeah. the right way. Yeah. Uh, if, we, if we're talking about family settling as well, I would have thought if... Messi's family preferred to live in Barcelona than Paris. They moved to England where it's even colder, even rainier, even windier. That or going back to Barcelona where it's pretty nice all year round and you're guaranteed to have great summers. I'd have thought if they've got a say in the matter, he's going to be going back to Spain. Although I think Bex Bex is trying his best to get him to Miami. But as we said, I think think he could still go there in a couple of years. The, The Premier League thing was just me poking fun that, that's I never, never going to happen I, I don't think but I, w- I wouldn't put it past Todd's I fully expect, <laughs> Graham says I expect Chelsea to try it in some way and that I just read that Enzo thing fits in now TC doesn't it it fits yeah and you know Chelsea don't have many players to play out wide and put in Chelsea so they may, it's a hole they've got yes indeed we'll see where Messi ends up going I've always thought that maybe there is a time that he ends up returning to Barca just because of the circumstances in which he left. But we'll see how we'll see how that pans out. That's it. That's it for another talking transfers. Anyway, today we'll be back. I'd imagine weekly uh, through the second half of the season. 
you can catch us for all the latest on what's happening. And I, I would imagine in the next few weeks, we'll start looking ahead to what is going to be one hell of a summer in the transfer market because it just never seems to let up. In the Premier League, please subscribe on all your major podcast platforms on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the, the likes of those. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at Toby underscore Cudworth and at Graham Bailey. Follow 90min.com, 90min underscore football on the social channels. And uh, you can see all of the latest transfer news that we're providing from 90min.com. So thanks everyone for listening. Again, we'll catch you very soon for another Talking Transfers.